0: With that, we are going to uh, open the Word of God. Before we do this morning, I also just want to take a second to say this, because I don't think I say it enough, but I want to really encourage everybody as your pastor to be reading the Word of God yourself. Uh, There are two ministries of the Word of God. One is a public ministry. You come and you gather as a church body and you hear me talk, and I'm called by God to teach the Word of God. And, and I very much obviously believe in that ministry, believe in um, the chance to gather as a community. The Bible tells us, do not forsake the gathering and to, and to uh, teach the words of the apostles, and, and uh, we do that. And, but I also want you to be reading the Word on your own because when we gather as a community... I'm preaching a message to all of us that hopefully the Holy Spirit is using in everybody's lives. But there's also things that I believe that the Holy Spirit of God wants to teach you individually. And he does that often through his word, right? We, I laugh every time somebody says, I wish that life came with an instruction manual. And I'd say, well, funny enough, it does. And there's this whole book where God tells us all these things, and if you read through it a whole bunch of times, you'll still find things that you swear weren't there the last time you read that because it speaks to you where you are in that moment of your life. And so I hope that you are reading the Word, young people, especially as you are figuring out where where God is taking you in this life. I hope and I pray that you're reading his word so that the Spirit of God is speaking to you on an individual level as well as speaking to us on a corporate level. And So with that, we have been uh, in, this is week 39 of a series in the gospel that I thought wouldn't last 39 weeks total, and we're about halfway through. So I'm thinking maybe week 80 we'll wrap it up, but we'll find out. Because why not take our time in the gospel? It is an amazing story, the greatest story ever told. Last week we talked about the death of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod and how that connected to Jesus warning his disciples that following him was actually pretty dangerous. I've told you guys a couple times I'm watching through The Chosen with my family. I know some of you are already like done. We're only in season two and we just got to, if you watch the show, we just got to John the Baptist last night and the character is hilarious and it's exactly how I picture John the Baptist being. He's just this crazy wild man and he says things that you're like, whoa, did that just come out of your mouth? Like that's the kind of guy and that got him in a lot of trouble and ended up costing him his life being a follower of Christ and being willing to speak the truth, even when it is not popular to speak the truth, ended up costing him his life, but we are still talking about the ministry that he had in this world and in the kingdom of God. The next story that we come to in the Gospels is a much brighter story. It's not the death of a cousin of Jesus. It is a story that most people, even if you haven't spent much time in church, you've probably heard this story it is one of the only stories that is listed in all four of the Gospels, so that right there tells us it was important enough for all of the authors of the Gospels to say this is something we should talk about. In the three synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, story, the Gospels that just kind of tell the story in order. John kind of jumps around and he says like, let's start from the beginning, like before the beginning, the primordial beginning, and then he goes all the way to the end. And, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke just kind of tell the story. And in each one of those synoptic gospels, this story follows right after John the Baptist's death. And we're going to read Matthew, or Sorry, Mark chapter 6 is the uh, version of the story that we are going to read today. I have a pretty good chunk of scripture for you this morning. And then we will dive into talking about it. Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to all, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Like I said, you've probably heard the story of the Loaves and fishes at some point in your life. There's this massive crowd of people. The the story is commonly known as the feeding of the 5,000. Although you see at the very end, it says there was 5,000 men. So it could be 8,000, 10,000, 20,000 people because they were only counting the men. None of the women and children that were there. So we have no idea how many untold thousands of people. In the beginning of the passage, the apostles come back. If you remember... Last week, we were talking about they went, Jesus sent them out to go do ministry on their own, two by two. They go out, they do miraculous things, they get to be part of the ministry of God, they get to be part of building the kingdom. And so at the beginning of this story, they are coming back to Jesus to kind of give Jesus a field report, like Sean Gray gave us last week. He comes, he stands up, he says, I went to this place, we did these things, here's the blessings we got to see. This is what they're doing. And they're exhausted. And Jesus knows that they're exhausted. And so what's the first thing that he tells them to do when they come back from this? He says, rest. Sometimes that's a four-letter word for people, isn't it? Rest. They've been serving. They've been ministering to people constantly. There's still people coming and going, asking for help and Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And Jesus modeled this with his life. Many times it tells us in the word of God that Jesus took time to get away by himself to pray and to rest. He says, I need to go be with my father. And he encourages his followers then and us now to do the same thing. One of my favorite verses in the bible I think I've shared this before I grew up going to catholic church there was one verse written on the back wall and so I'm a little catholic kid and I'm bored out of my mind and I'm just staring at the back wall and so the first verse that I ever memorized was come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest because it was written on the wall I read it 10,000 times and as a kid it never I was like okay cool now as a grown man I'm like oh I could use some of that Jesus some of that rest, some of that lifting of the heavy burden. Jesus tells us again and again that we are called to rest. Are you in a season of your life where things feel heavy, where you feel weary and heavy laden? And so much of the world will just tell you, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just put your head down and keep going. But Jesus often in his own life and in the life of his disciples, he says, you need to take some time to rest. Get away with Jesus. And I know that's easier said than done. I can just imagine the moms with little kids at home being like, yeah, that would be great. Uh, but I don't know how to make that happen. So dads, make it happen. Allow your wives to get that rest that they need. And then take it for yourself He calls the apostles and the rest of his followers to pull away to a deserted place and rest. And I would encourage you hard-working, ruggedly individual Montanans that it is okay to take some time and go and be with the Lord and rest. That being said, ironically, on this particular occasion, they don't get to rest. Jesus says, let's go away and rest They get on a boat, and the people from around the cities, or the Sea of Galilee, they can see the boat going out. And they're like, we know where they're going. And they run, and they meet them. Can you imagine that? You're like, I'm just going to go rest. And then by the time you get to where you're going, everyone's like, hey, we've been here waiting for you. Like, that's exactly what happens to them. They don't get to rest. They get off the boat. They try to get away from the needy people. And they they can probably see. This is the funny part to me. Like, I imagine... Peter just standing there, like, what is happening? He's watching people run around the sea of Galilee to get to where they're going. He was looking forward to a time of rest, but when they land, there's people there, and we see that Jesus truly is sinless in this moment. Because Jesus, you would think Jesus would be annoyed, upset, irritated, whatever word you want to use, but he looks at them, and it says that he has compassion. He doesn't get angry at it. He doesn't get upset or irritated. Instead, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. That word compassion is the word that we've talked about a bunch of times, a feeling in the depth of his core, that stomach feeling. He feels deeply for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at the crowd. He's moved with compassion, and it's interesting to me why he feels compassion for the crowds, because he could have looked at that crowd and seen this crowd full of people that are oppressed by the Roman government, who are mistreated, who are treated like second-class citizens. He could have looked at the crowd and said, oh man, these people are are hungry or or they're in need or there's throngs of sick people. There's all kinds of reasons that he could have looked at them and felt compassion, but instead it says that he feels compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. In Jesus' eyes, listen, don't miss this. In Jesus' eyes, the greatest need of that crowd was the need to be shepherded to their God. That was the thing they needed above and beyond everything else. That was their number one need. And I often hear people talk about how we as Christians should care for the needs of people. And that's true. That we should go and that we should feed the hungry, take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans. That we should embrace the disenfranchised. That we should get clean water to people that need clean water. That we should get food to people who are hungry. And all of those things are real. They're absolutely real, and we should seek to do that work in the kingdom of God, but the number one need of every person in this world is the need to be shepherded to their Lord. I, I'll say this, and this might hit somebody the wrong way, but but I've had conversations with people and they say, no, we just need to worry about their physical needs and not and eventually we'll get to the spiritual needs. The reality is, we can make people very comfortable on their way to destruction. If the United States has proven anything in this world, it is that we can be very, very, very comfortable on our way to destruction. The number one need that people have is the need for Jesus and to be shepherded to their God. And that has not changed. It was the number one need of people 2,000 years ago. It is the primary need for people today. They need a good shepherd. They need the Lord himself to guide them to knowing him and having an eternal relationship with him. They need a shepherd that will guard them against the wolves that are seeking to destroy them. That's what he looks out and sees. He sees people, thousands of people who are like sheep, And there are wolves all around them seeking to destroy them. To destroy their lives, to destroy their spiritual well-being. And he says, these people need a shepherd. And so Jesus sees the crowd. He's deeply affected by them. And so he begins to teach them. He begins to shepherd them spiritually. And this is what we see in Jesus in a world full of sheep without a shepherd. He's not a distant, uncaring God who's out there watching us from a distance. He's not like the other gods that people believed in in those days that just looked at people as mainly fodder for for hell or just pawns to be used in their battles. He doesn't just get irritated and just scream at them, like, why can't you just get your life together? Do you ever read the Bible and just think, like, man, I feel like Jesus should just yell, like, get it together. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and just yell, get it together. That's what we want to yell to people. But Jesus says, no, you need a shepherd. He steps into the mire and he ministers to people and he loves them. And he's still doing that today just as he did 2,000 years ago. I know a lot of you could say amen to that. Because you know that at some point Jesus stepped into the mud, into the mire of your life, and he pulled you out of it and brought you back and shepherded you to himself. I don't mean to belabor this, but, but notice this. Notice the first thing that Jesus does. The first thing he does is he doesn't start saying like, hey, go, go find some food. Go do this. Go make tents. Go like." The first thing he does, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. We don't have the sermon. I wish we did, like the Sermon on the Mount. I wish we had this sermon that we could read exactly what he said to these folks. But he begins to teach them. He begins to shepherd them because that's what they need. And he begins to teach them many things. In fact, he teaches them so many things that the disciples are kind of sitting around going like, dude, it's dinner time. You guys think I preach for a long time sometime. Like, if Jesus was here, he'd be going right through lunch, probably. Like, we'd be dinner. But if Jesus was here, we'd be all like, that's fine, you go ahead. You just keep teaching, please. We'll, we'll be here forever. Right? He preaches, and the disciples are like, man, it's getting dinner time. They start to worry. Uh, it says that, you know, they're worried, but maybe they're just like, we've been here, we're tired, like, hey, uh, I think it's dinner time. Like, shouldn't we wrap it up? But, but they say like, hey, Jesus, you should send these people away because they're going to be hungry. They're going to need some food. They're in a desolate place, which is kind of funny because there's 10,000 people there right then. But there's no place to go buy food. There's no place to get provisions. And so they say you should send them away. And Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, says you feed them. <laughs> They're like, okay, uh, they don't know exactly what to do now. And so the men that have been watching God do miraculous things, the men who were sent out by Jesus to go and do miraculous things, the people, these guys who have been personally used by God to drive out demons and heal sick people, and they've personally watched Jesus do all these miraculous things, they've seen all this, and yet their first thought right here is, we don't have any food. We need to send them out. Their first thought is, we don't have enough money to feed these people. One of them, Philip, even takes the time to do the math. Right? You Just check that out. He's like, 200 denarii to feed all these people. That's one person's year wage. If You saved every dollar you made for a year. He's saying it would take somebody a year's worth of money to feed this group one time, and they're going to be hungry in four hours again. So why would we... I don't think he's just saying we don't have the money. He's saying even if we had the money, why would we spend a year's wage to feed people one meal? Let's just send them off. After everything that they've seen Jesus do, it's amazing, and I don't want to talk bad about them because I think I would be the same person here, but it's amazing that after everything that they've seen him do it doesn't seem to even cross their mind that maybe Jesus is going to do something miraculous. They're just like, ah, we can't afford it. We don't have the resources to make that happen. The first thing that they do is they start to explain why they can't do it, why it can't be done, all the reasons that it will fail, all the reasons that the resources aren't available. I want you to listen The work that you are doing in the kingdom of God is not limited by the resources that you have. I'm not saying we should be stupid. I'm not saying we don't pay attention to those things. But if God wants you to do something, don't look at your bank account. Look to him. And say, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to provide something miraculous here. You're going to have to help me figure this out. You're going to have to provide in some way that I've never even thought of. Because that's, these guys, they're not thinking Jesus is going to magically multiply food. They're just thinking, we don't have the money. Right? And we can fall into the same thing where again and again, we just think, I, I can't see it. But the Word of God tells us that God likes to use the broken and foolish things of this world to do miraculous and wonderful things. And I don't know about you, but I'm broken and foolish. And I would love to be used in a miraculous way to do things in the kingdom of God. And so there's times where I've just had to say, God, I have no clue how this is going to get done. But if you want it to get done, it's going to get done. My mother-in-law, God rest her, she said, he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He can sell a few for this. Right? I'm sure you've heard that before. She would say that all the time. we look at this story, Jesus could have easily just called down bread from heaven, right? He'd say even the rocks would cry, right? He could have just been like, manna, woo, right? But he doesn't do that. I love this about this story. Jesus says, let's start with what you do have. What do you have to offer? And they go around, and out of this crowd of thousands of people... They basically, John tells us in his version, they basically find a little boy who has his lunch. He's got five loaves and two fish. And these loaves aren't like big loaves. These are like pita breads. And the fish are like sardines, like large sardines. So I don't know if you've ever tried to take like a 10-year-old boy's lunch away from him. That's the first miracle. They got this little boy. to be like, I'll give you my lunch. But how amazing it was that it's a kid, right? Just a side note. This whole miracle starts with one little kid being like, here's my lunch. That's what they take to Jesus. They're like, we have five pita breads and a couple big sardines. And he says, I can work with that. He takes it and he blesses it. He prays for the food, he blesses it, and he begins to give the food out to the disciples to distribute it. And they take it and they begin to take it and give it to all the people, and it tells us at the end of them eating their meal that everybody was satisfied. But that word in the original, in the original language doesn't just mean like, that was a nice anus It means like they are stuffed. They are rolling out of like the buffet, being like, I am so full. Right? They are Thanksgiving dinner, tryptophan, full by the end of this. And it all starts with Jesus just taking what the crowd had to offer and doing something miraculous with it. I love this story for so many reasons, but especially it's, it's that, the idea that that little boy just offered up his lunch. And then I think about maybe his mom was back home and he says, I want to go listen to the preacher. And she's like, you're not going anywhere without a lunch pail, young man so she makes him a little lunch and this this mom like, i'm i'm making this part up but in my head can and this is like some little jewish mama says here take your lunch and god uses that to bless thousands and thousands of people people have tried to say liberal bible scholars have tried to say this isn't a miracle of jesus multiplying food it's just a miracle of People's hearts being opened because of the willingness of the little boy. And so all of a sudden, they all are like, okay, I have some food too. And they all start sharing their food. That is not what happened here. This is a miraculous thing that Jesus does to feed thousands and thousands of people. And at the end of it, there's 12 baskets full of food left over. And people have guessed all sorts of reasons why there's 12 baskets full We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But here's my guess. Here's my guess. You have 12 baskets and you have 12 apostles who were sitting around just not too long ago saying, we can't do it. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have the ability to do what you're asking us to do, Jesus. And at the end, I picture in my head each one of them kind of standing there with a basket, like looking at each other. Like, huh. Maybe we shouldn't have questioned (laughs) Jesus. They've each got their giant overflowing basket. And maybe once again, they start to wonder if they have underestimated the power of their Lord. Maybe we should try to not keep making that same mistake in our own lives. Where we question, we say, God, I... I think you're calling me to do this, but I just don't have the resources. I don't have the, the skill. I can't stand in front of people and talk. I can't serve kids in the children's ministry. I, I can't go down to Love Inc. and do it. Like, I don't have the ability. And God says, But I will give it to you. I will give you what you need. I don't have the time to serve at the resource center. I don't have time to do things. And, and God says, I will give you everything that you need that I have called you to do. Let's stop making excuses for all of the reasons why we can't do the things that Jesus has called us to do and instead trust that he will provide even in miraculous ways that we cannot begin to grasp for us to do it. What an amazing story of Jesus again doing incredible and miraculous things. And I love this part of the story too is that he doesn't just do it himself. He uses his disciples and apostles. He says, you're going to be a part of this. I'm going to bless this, and I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to give it. God calls us to be a part of what he's doing, even though we have nothing to offer. We're standing there and we like, I don't see how it can happen. And Jesus says, I'll show you. And he calls them, and they get to be part of it, and he calls us, and we get to be a part of it, even when we doubt, even when we say, God, I don't, I don't see it. And he says, you will. You'll see it. May we desire to seek to be used in the same way by Jesus, to bless and care for the people in our world, to bring them to the good shepherd that they need. May we believe that God can do the impossible through our lives as we seek to give him whatever small offering that we have to give And as we look into this world full of people, may we not just look at people and say, why can't you just get it together? But instead have the compassion that Jesus has to see sheep that don't have a shepherd. And we can be the people that point them towards the shepherd and say, I know what you really need. I know what your number one need is in this life, and it's Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word again, as always. Lord, we're so thankful to read it. Your word is a light unto our path, Lord, and we are constantly reminded of the amazing things that you can do. And I just identify so much with your followers in this story of just wondering and, and, and doubting at times, Lord. And may we just know that you're at work always. And that if you call us to do something, you will provide the time, the resources, the things, whatever it is, that we need to do it because it is your will. Lord, as we finish up by worshiping tonight, would you speak to us even now, everyone in this room, if there's something that you are calling them to, some ministry you're calling them to be a part of, some way to bless others that you're calling. And and the first thing in us is to say, I don't know how that can work. God, would you let us just step back for a moment and say, Jesus, would you show me how I can move forward into this calling? Lord, would you work in all of us? And would you give us the faith to trust you enough to move forward? We pray in your name, amen.